I had a very strange childhood. I had the worst case any doctor had ever seen. My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. Sickness can be crippling. It could be agonizing. It could be downright devastating. And it could also be transformational. While we bring lots of experts and doctors onto this podcast, I feel it's just as important to bring you the stories of actual patients who have suffered and struggled with chronic illness and disease and can now share their experience, advice, and personal insight with the many that are also suffering and struggling. To know you are not alone if you're chronically ill and that others in your situation can offer hope as to a way out is a tremendous gift. Today's guest almost died of her chronic illness back in 2016, but went on to overcome it, regain her health, and help others by becoming a passionate yoga teacher, Reiki master, and crystal practitioner that cultivates sacred spaces for others to connect with their true selves. This is a story of transforming through Lyme with Heather Geyser. Heather, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a number of patients that I've interviewed, talked to, connected with, built relationships over the years. Many of them are Lyme patients like yourself, and so many of them have similarities in their stories, but also incredible uniqueness in how it came about. And I know one of the things that, that when I was looking at what you had sent over was that you almost died from Lyme disease. And a lot of people, when they hear and they haven't spoken to enough people with Lyme or understood what it truly is, they just think, isn't that just an infection where you get a bug bite? You know, a tick bites you, you take antibiotics, maybe it sticks with you a little bit and you need a second round and you get over it. And I think there's such a misnomer about that, that, you know, what is Lyme disease? And I think more people need to stop listening to what a doctor's you know, idea of what Lyme disease is or conventional medicines, we should say, and start listening to the stories of people's afflicted. So I want to open up the mic now to you and just to share, you know, what was your experience like? Because you said you almost died. That's serious, right? So what, what, you know, go back to where it all started in a sense when you were diagnosed or had Lyme and, and share that with our audience. I think that's a great place to start is the diagnosis part, yeah, right? We didn't really know what was going on. We knew something wasn't right with my body. I was having multiple asymptomatic symptoms that were dispersing through my body through uh, a period of time that wasn't consistent enough to uh, keep a medical journal of. I would say over the course of 18 months, I rapidly declined. I have been very athletic and healthy, uh, working out. And then all of a sudden, uh, my joints specifically one knee is swelling abnormally. I'm starting to get, uh, pain in my jaw. My little baby toe is starting to hurt. And so, you know, you're going to each individual specialist. If my jaw's hurting, I'm going to a dentist. Now I'm being referred to an orthodontist. They put me in a set of braces. Hey, you have TMJ. My knee, I go to an orthopedic. Hey, uh, you used to play basketball. You were a cheerleader. You're a dancer. 
you know, let's throw some cortisone shots in there. Um, your toe, um, I'm not really quite sure. So let me throw you over to a rheumatologist. So I think that's where it starts, right? That misdiagnosis piece of um, your body is giving you the appropriate symptoms and you know you have to link those pieces together. And us as a society, we immediately go to our doctors. But these doctors have some blinders on because they're in their specialized medicine. Had maybe a few of them in the very beginning. And when I say very beginning, I mean 17 years of trying to figure out what's going on. That longevity of having um, a dis-ease multiply continuously in the body results in massive uh, deterioration. You know, so I think for me in the beginning, hearing um, the possibility of lupus, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, depression. I mean, I, I, they thought that I had uh, anemia. I was anorexic. Um, just all sorts of different things. And, and I went with it because all of the symptoms did tie up to the way the doctors were presenting the pharmacology, the prescription that they wanted to, me to walk out of that office with. And, and I blindly did it because I was early in my 20s and I just kept popping pills for probably seven years. I went through, uh, you know, a whole regimen of rheumatology courses, uh, physical therapy. Um, I, I did everything under the sun and we really just couldn't, you know, figure it out. And I chalked it up to this is just my body, my life. Now, you know, that's a long time, seven years, popping pills. There must have been the ups and downs of it, right? It wasn't all oh, yeah. downhill. So you must have had a little bit of hope here and there going to someone, taking a pill, feeling better and saying, oh, we solved it, right? Was Were there like the ups yeah. and downs that most people talk about? Yes, because in the beginning, some of the prescriptions did work. They may have been uh, had an underlying uh, pain relief effect and in my mind, I assumed my symptoms were just disappearing, but they weren't. They were further migrating deeper in my body. So you do this for a number of years. You jump from specialist to specialist. The symptoms pop up. Maybe they dissipate a little bit with a pill. They come back or they move around. You know, where was that point where you said, listen, maybe this isn't just my body and I have to do something maybe different. Maybe I have to go see someone outside of who I know in my you know, medical realm here to try and solve this issue because enough is enough. We were, my husband and I became blessed and we found out we were pregnant and um, everything went well with the beginning testings that you do for pregnancy. And then when we went in for our nine, nine and a half week uh, ultrasound, um, the baby stayed in my fallopian tube. Mm. So it's giving a dose of methotrexate to uh, stop the human growth cells. And then we went back the following week to still see a heartbeat. And so I got another shot again. And that is the normal treatment for an ectopic pregnancy. Uh, so now I'm moving into 10 and a half, 11 weeks pregnant, um, which is very abnormal for uh, an ectopic pregnancy. But the way the baby had embedded in my fallopian tube, in the ampular section, there was enough. Like if you understand the fallopian tubing, sometimes it, op it opens up like a flower. And so where we had the implantation, it was enough where there was growth. 
Um, but unfortunately, we had to do the self-injected laparoscopy where they took out my fallopian tube. Uh, when they do that in the prenatal ward, they do the standard blood test in case you need a blood transfusion. And that's when they found a foreign bacteria and parasites. And so you go through this, you find out, is that when you got the diagnosis of Lyme no. disease? No. No. Okay. Because my Western blot test was negative. Yeah. It can do that, right? It's not exactly so the So they most... were thinking it was more like a foodborne intoxicant, uh, maybe uh, cross-contamination. Uh, had I been to Mexico, I had six months earlier on a cruise. Did I eat... Uh, lunch meat. Yes. I eat, you know, I had Turkey, um, sushi. Yes. So they were kind of thinking it was more along an intestinal type of thing. Um, and all of my, um, Western blot tests that I had, I would say I had four of them over the course of a period of time. Um, even previous when they were telling me I was going to that rheumatologist and I was seeing the orthopedic all those times I was getting tested too. And it's always came back. That evening, and I am not a medical doctor, but please go with me. And, 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 and I think you'll understand this, right? So I just had a very traumatic experience. Obviously, I have no choice. It's my life. Like I could, I'm going to die if we do not go forward with this procedure. I understand that. After the procedure, they come to me and say that my prenatal workup noted my MMR booster was missing. Now, it's like 3.30 in the morning. We just want to go home. And my husband is just, Heather, honey, take that vaccine. That was April 21st of 2016. By December, I was dying. So... That evening, I took the MMR booster and we came home and I recovered from the ectopic pregnancy. And then from April progressing to December, my symptoms exploded. I'm talking neurological symptoms. I'm starting to forget words. I can't calculate numbers anymore. I can't drive my vehicle. I'm not recognizing stop signs and street lights. I am profusely vomiting, diarrhea. Uh, my fingers are, are numb. I can't feel my fingers. I'm having night sweats, uh, murderous nightmares, like uh, night terror nightmares that are I just can't even put into words. I'm exhausted, but I can't sleep. I mean, just the level of symptoms just became so overwhelming that um, I was just ready to die. It sounds awful. And, you know, was it something that you brought up to your doctors, clinicians that, listen, it was after this shot that I started to progressively get worse. Did you bring that up to anybody? I did. And, you know, that is the uh, unique thing about um, LLMDs right? Lyme literate medical doctors. And I'm in the state of Pennsylvania. And if you know anything about Lyme, it's very prevalent in this area. And um, at that time in 2016, there are only two LLMDs in all of Pennsylvania. And one was an older doctor. Um, and I just didn't really jive with his methodology. And then there was another doctor down in Amish country, because the Amish in Pennsylvania really had a, a run with Lyme. And I went to see this, this particular medical doctor, and he is the one that enlightened me about this lab out in California. 
called iGenX. And that changed my life. We sent my blood out there and every single one of those titers popped Mm. positive. And then I find out that I have even more complex. That Lyme just isn't Lyme. It comes with some friends. (laughs) So I had mycoplasma and babesia, uh, which would make sense where they kind of thought I had HIV earlier in the course of my time period because my white blood cell count was so low. So you get that diagnosis. Do you begin treatment right away to address Right the away. You do? Right away. Right away. We do um, a whole plethora of meds. And, and I understand that that doctor was guided by the course that he has to follow. And it's my understanding that the IDAS has a regiment that as soon as you get this test back, if these doctors don't prescribe in the format that is being required, they could potentially lose their license. And this gentleman was playing the fine line. He was doing antibiotics, but he's also mixing in some holistic things. So he was giving me, um, you know, malarian-based antibiotics, but then boosting me with like a vitamin C uh, IV, like a Myers cocktail. You know, he was playing it both ways. And that's when I realized that every body is different. It's it's hard to come to that realization because most of us are taught. Well, I was a guinea pig too, (laughs) right? I had to take, you know, I took uh, four different ivermectin. Mm. Yes, ivermectin. I took ivermectin, ivermectin, (laughs) malarone, biaxin. And Bactrim, that was my regiment. And I was on that for 16 weeks. And then we did a, a like a homeopathic aspect, a, you know, olive leaf extract, a whole bunch of different things. But, you know, at that point in time, I was so far toxic that my internal organs could no longer sustain that antibiotic regiment. And yes, that may work for some other people, but for my physical anatomy, that was not working. And my pancreas and my liver and my gallbladder were like, no, we're done. And so by the end of that year, um, and I don't mean to be too dramatic, but I was vomiting what appeared to look like coffee grinds. Hmm. And then that was when I was rushed to one of our major medical hospitals in this area. Upon arrival to this hospital, they pull my husband aside and tell them that I've ran my course of antibiotics and that what I really needed was a psychotherapist. That women have the tendencies to manifest their symptoms. And if I took my course of Uh, antibiotics, then my Lyme is cured. And uh, what I'm going through is just the mental aspects and she just needs someone to talk to. And that's when I think my husband's eyes opened up to this isn't the path. If we are healing, (laughs) this isn't the path we're going down. And he scooped me up out of that ER and we I don't want to say have turned our back on Western medicine, but we no longer um do any pharmaceuticals yeah. at all. I mean, listen, your experience guides you to how you're it going does. to, you know, proceed with your life in all choices, all mm-hmm. venues. And I have to say, knowing enough patients that have gone through chronic conditions, and a lot of those chronic conditions were exacerbated because they put their trust 
and all of their you know hope and everything into the conventional medicine system. It's not to say it doesn't work, right? It works yes, for some people, does. not for, for everyone. Yes. And that's the problem is that when you get to someone that it isn't working, they start to blame you, not themselves. Yes. <laughs> that's what I found is, is ridiculous. It's like going to a financial you know, advisor and you give them the money and they're losing it and they're losing it. And they keep losing it, even though with many other, you know, uh, clients, they might make money, but they're doing something different with your money and they're losing it. And you go to them, and you say, listen, like something isn't working. And they say, it's you, you know, it's you. That's not where, and it's like, well, no, that, that really can't be. Maybe that's part of the equation, but you have to take responsibility as well. And I think that's where conventional medicine has always lagged so far behind is to actually appreciate the humanness, the personalization of every single individual uniqueness of them. And to say, maybe we can't help you, but there's got to be something else out there. And you reach that point and it's, it's your, your maybe rock bottom here after going yeah, through treatment and everything. Absolutely rock bottom to the point where, you know, I, I do have that conversation with my husband, you know, honey, it's right. best that you move on and when I go, I want you to be happy. And this is the hymnals I want. And this is, you know, I really, in that moment, gave myself up completely to death. Mm. All aspects of my physical body, I was ready. The pain was so overwhelming that death could only be the answer. And I think when I expressed that out loud from a soul calling, uh, from my heart center, that is when things started changing and I found uh, innovative medicine. Literally the same day that I gave myself up to God and told him to stop my heart is the day that I discovered Dr. Schultz. You know, I, I, I want to jump into the next portion of this because that's where everyone's like, what happened and everything. But I think there's something here to be said about that letting go portion that I want to kind of go into just a little bit, because there's going to be a lot of people that said, I just can't do that. You gave up. And I think there's a distinction between giving up and letting go. And I think there's a fine line probably, because what you said may seem to some, wow, she was ready to give up on her life. And I, I just want you to maybe clarify that a little bit of what that meant to let go, to allow something else to happen, because I think that's incredibly important for patients to hear. When you have such trust in the formation of what we're taught, at the first sign of illness, we're taught to go to a doctor. We are taught to trust and advise the person in the white coat. And when he or she says that you are psychotic and manifesting these things, your cells internally believe it. And if this institution of vast knowledge is telling me, and I'm understanding this, that there is nothing they can do for me other than push oxycodone or some other type of pain relief on me, I'm better off completely gone in the realm of physical being and being raised to understand source. It seems that I would be better on the other side. I cannot be helped in the capacity that I need help 
then extinguish me now. And it seems that whatever you may believe in, whether that is God, a universe, or anything out there, it seemed that there was an answer to that plea, correct? Oh, no, no, no. It's not your time. It is not your time, Heather. And here is the golden path. And um, it started immediately. I... uh, I'm from a very small town in Pennsylvania, very rural. And um, I had gotten a phone call and someone along the lines had heard that I wasn't well, a a kid I had graduated high school with. And he had mentioned um, that his sister had taken very ill as well from Lyme so much that she had tachycardia. She had to get a pacemaker and that she had gone to this, um, this facility in New York city. And he said, Heather, I'm going to tell you, they do some off the wall stuff. They don't really follow, you know, it's, it, I'm telling you, but she's, she's pregnant. She's healthy and she's doing amazing. And I really think you should go see this doctor. And that is how I got the download of Dr. Schultz was through a classmate of mine. And in that conversation, I found out that a fourth of my graduating class has Lyme. It's only when you're like uh, afflicted with something or you start putting attention to it that you start noticing it elsewhere. It's like the whole thing. You get a new car and you start seeing that car everywhere, right? It's it's the same with disease, unfortunately. It really is. It is. Uh, anyone I talk to, whether that's Lyme, whether that's cancer, whatever it may be, you start to realize this is a prevalent issue. This isn't just me. And like you yeah. said, it's not just, oh, someone else hadn't got over it. Hey, Heather, like, yes, my sister also was very, very, you know, sick because of this. And that's that's where people really don't get it until you experience it or really open up your eyes and listen to the other stories of others. Yeah. And so I was so excited and like, yes, I found the answer. And then I called the office and then immediately I was told there was a two year wait to get an appointment. Yeah, that must have been a little while back. <laughs> 2017. Yeah. 2017. Yeah. Busy time and then smaller staff. And we were, we were just at, you know. Yes. And I spoke to this sweet nurse practitioner. Um, her name was Caitlin. Caitlin and uh, yes. I um, must've been on the verge of tears. And I said, listen, honey, you don't understand. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm vomiting up coffee grinds. I'm dreaming. I'm murdering my family. Like, and she's like, can you be here January 6th? Another door opened. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Sometimes even when you think it's closed, it's just kind of like the universe being like, just, just go a little bit more, right? Just keep going. And it, it is like a test. It is for many. And I know for many, the test is, oh my God, it's it's whether it's finance. Whether it's, uh, you know, getting there, I know a lot of people, I can't, you know, I could barely get out of bed. How am I supposed to get there? Like, I sympathize with every single person that has that challenge. I also know that the people that step up to the challenge and walk through the door, like look for another door, those are the ones that see the success in healing. Because healing is not so much about what the doctor's going to do, but what you're going to do with the doctor's help. 
And so it requires that extra step, that leap of faith, that, that, you know, knocking on doors until they open sometimes. And so you had this door open, you get the appointment January 6th. Uh, you know, t- tell us about that. Like going into it, did you have any expectations? Did you have any kind of understanding of what would happen? No. Um, like I said, we're from uh, rural Pennsylvania. And so we're heading into the big city. So it's right. big time. It's big time to the point that uh, we're, we're seeking uh, another level of healing that isn't recognized by the type of insurance card that we have in our wallet. Yeah recognizing how blessed we are in the aspect that we were able to financially afford even the trip to the city. I'm talking about the tolls covering, going across the bridge, the parking, just even, just even just to get to that particular facility um, and just recognizing how blessed I was. And then, you know, to sit there and, um, I guess, I mean, as soon as I walked in, even though I know that you've moved on to bigger and better uh, things, that energy, as soon as you walked into the office was almost like your great grandmother's hug. Mm. It's a good energy. It was like my soul knew that, yes, everything outside this wall is hustle bustle, taxis, there's sirens, there's so much going on, but in here, the water is trickling and the music is at the perfect hertz and the tea is warm and the nurses listen. And I had some anxiety, but then, um, you know, sitting down and having an idea and an understanding of the scope of what was going on with my blood. That's when I kind of was like, all right, you got to become a soldier. Do you think that's important for people to have that feeling, to have that level of somewhat, you know, peace? I, I heard one patient described as this. You are always going to be skeptical going into any doctor's office, medical treatment, even if they have the best accolades and 100 percent success rate, everything like that. They said that you need to get to about 80 percent. You know, 80% where you sort of, you know, that 20% is always going to be there. This won't work. This is, you know, it's this, that, that, you know, it'll always be that doubtful voice, the, the, the skeptic, the, the devil's advocate. But if you could reach that 80% of, I feel good enough about this, I have some understanding, maybe not 100% understanding of what's going to happen. And I am going to now step forward knowing that I am committed then they said that is where you should move forward with the treatment. If you're under that 80% mark, you probably shouldn't. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. Yes. I think one of the biggest things that I learned is the subtle body link to dis-ease. And if in your mind, you are going to continue to cycle thoughts to your cells of dis-ease, they will continue to replicate the message. Another way I like to explain it is like a record groove. I may not have been able to fully comprehend everything that was uh, presented to me that day when I sat in front of uh, your dad and got the results. Uh, He definitely told me I was sick, but I wasn't like gonna die. You know, like... Was that 
comforting or what what was that? What was that feeling? Because to some that's like, oh wow. To others, that's like, hey, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> the paternal aspect that he has when he sits in front of you, you could see without him speaking that he made some sacrifices to be able to even sit in that chair to provide me with this type of guidance. And I also feel like I went through some of the bullying that he may have also gone through when he made the decision to possibly transition from that Rockefeller type of mindset to I'm going to try something a little bit different. And um, the delivery of it, you know, Heather, your body's like the twin towers. Until you merge the two together, you will always be in disease. You know, like the analogies that he get, you know, he gave it out to me that, yeah, you're sick. Yeah, for sure. You're sick. And we've got the right treatments here to help you. But I can get you to this point. Yeah. But the rest of it, you're going to have to do. And did you have any trepidation on that? Or you were you at this point where just just do anything? Because that, that, that too, you have some patients that are just like, do whatever you want. You want to shave my head and put some weird stuff like, you know, I don't care. And others that say, I, you know, no, I need to know everything. I'm not sure. I'm going to stop for a moment and really think about this. No. Um, I think in that moment in time, it was either plan my funeral or plan my wellness journey. And you chose the wellness journey. Yeah. I only had two options. Yeah. If I didn't proceed with um, the treatment plan that was laid out in front of me, I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you. And I fully know that in the core of my body. Was your husband on board with everything? 100%. He was. Yeah. He was completely supportive, maybe not understanding this, but a, a 100% supportive. Yeah. I find that usually pretty important. You know, I'll, I'll I'll mention this really quickly and then you could go into your thought process. But I, I find that and again, I'm not on the medical side, but I, I always see and speak with the medical side and patients on a daily basis at the clinic that, you know, the, the patients that don't have the support of family and even children that don't have the support of both parents on this is the way we want to proceed, don't usually get the best results even though they're getting treatments that just like everyone else are incredibly personalized should be. But if you don't have a support system, that's something that almost holds you back. Right. And so, you know, I, I, I hear that you did have that support system. And I think that is critical. If anyone's listening that it doesn't have to be necessarily your family, if they're against it, or you have a broken family, it could be a friend, yeah. it could be anybody, mm -hmm. but it's really nice to have someone there to push you along because you're going to have those doubts. You're going to need someone else. And of course, our the medical team is a support system, but it's on the medical side. They're not coming home. They're not doing other. They're not someone we call on the weekend. Right. So, right. I, you know, I think it's it's really important. And how critical do you feel going through the treatments and having your husband behind you and, you know, and, and really giving you that support? How critical is that for you? I think it was major because as you may be aware, sometimes you get, you have to get worse before yeah. you get better. Right. And I also just want to take just one step back and preface sure. that, you know, um, I do have unconditional love from my husband, but he was in a tragic car accident in 2014 mm -hmm. and broke his back. 
um, was in the neurointensive care unit, had to go into an orthesis, bedridden for 16 weeks, you know, so I had already had kind of, you know, stepped up to the plate and provided that unconditional support to him in that time. Um, and then the roles reversed mm-hmm. and it's his time. And I'm, I'm not, I want to make sure that the listeners understand that and that's also about the healing journey, right? The give and the take. Um, I gave to my husband and he was able to give back to me. Um, I'm able to give my time to the doctors. They're able to give back to me. So I think having that type of support system, you also have to make sure that it comes from within too. Absolutely. And and I think that is the unconditional side of it, but it's also the understanding and the, you know, the empathy you could give someone that's going through that on both sides. It's, it's a little bit difficult if you've never witnessed that before, or had to deal with or experience anything like that. Both of you are on that side doing that. Now, yeah. you know, you begin the treatment plan and yes. it's, it's going to be unique for everyone. So I don't want to go into the details of every little, you know, therapy you did for anyone listening that wouldn't yeah. help you at all. It was intense. <laughs> it was intense yeah. though. Okay. It was intense. It was intense. Um, we had to, you know, first and foremost, I couldn't start the treatment because I was so toxic. Mm. So uh, the very first thing we had to do is reduce my toxicity. Mm-hmm. And then that was a whole learning level. Understanding um, I was, yes, I got bit by a tick. Yes, I do have Lyme, but some of the reasons why I am in dis-ease were some of my choices. I was burning the candle at both ends of the sticks. I'm American. I was, you know, indulging in some fast food and um, maybe not eating or maybe eating a whole bunch after, you know, a fun night or what, whatever. Um, that's when I started learning about pH, alkalinity and acidity. And then I dove deeper into disease. And then I, it, it kind of became like a, every day, how can I drop my acidity levels? And um, it took me, I think, three and a half months before I was ready to start treatment. Because basically what my understanding is, is I physically, I wouldn't have been able to move on. I was so weak. I'm telling you, I almost died. And not from necessarily the line, my understanding from the toxicity of all of the regiments of the prescriptions that have been given to me over the course of the last 17 years of trying to figure out what it was. That is the thing about Lyme. It needs that environment to truly party. And then it brings its friends along, as we say, like you said, Babesia, everyone else, you know, the the co-infections. And unfortunately, the way you are normally and conventionally orthodoxly treated is with antibiotics that you, that will make the environment worse. It's dropping a nuke bomb. That's what it's doing inside your system. It's hoping it kills it. But Lyme is like the cockroach. We know when you drop an atomic bomb, cockroaches and rats persist. Humans all die. Right. And then they come back and feast on a completely waste barren, you know, negative environment that's full of garbage everywhere. So it's incredibly important. And again, as much as there's a personalization to each person that comes through the doors here with any Lyme treatment or any treatment, not to say just Lyme, we do many different chronic uh, diseases, but there are patterns and toxicity happens to be one of those patterns. 
You took the time to clear your terrain, your inner milieu, as we call it. You took that time. What happened next? Were you already feeling better after cleaning after those, you know, several weeks of detoxing? And I was. You were. Okay. Because sometimes people feel a little bit even worse as they push something, but we try and go subtle with that. So it doesn't create that. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think that I started having any, uh, what we would call Herx reactions until after I started, you know, my tincture treatments, my actual supplements and the tincture treatments. Um, my body flourished in the, uh, depletion of negative vibrational foods that I was giving myself. Were you doing anything else different at that time at home, let's say? Were you changing your attitude? Were you starting to do other things that you were implementing? So uh, my husband owns a wholesale heating and air conditioning company. And so we kind of went through the whole house, put a UV air filtration light system um, in it. We ripped up all the carpet, uh, changed out all of our flooring system. Uh, We changed the paints on the wall, updated the filtration system, uh, switched all of the chemical treatments outside of the house. We just kind of really secured the home environment, took out all of the chemical cleaners. Um, I switched all of the type of products that I was using. I started getting the algum in my teeth replaced, Um, you know, just really hitting it hard from all directions. Yeah, yeah. You, you did not spare much there and went in. And and that's a beautiful thing, because as much as it is an internal job of detoxifying, you got to look at the environment you're in. You know, you could do this inside scrubbing all the time. But if there's stuff, just keep coming back in. You'll just keep scrubbing and you'll still be toxic. And so you, you, you took a very proactive approach from the start to really put yourself in the best spot, which I think is, is uh, you know, commendable there. And you started to feel better. Now you're ready for treatment, right? Now you're ready for quote unquote, coming into the clinic for treatment. Tell us about that. What was that like? So for my particular treatment, because I lived in Pennsylvania, I traveled. He would have loved to have me there every single day, uh, but I just couldn't do it. So I I opted for a three day a week treatment. And um, like you said, not to get into too much of it, but a lot of it consisted in some IV, IV treatments. I'm very petite and, uh, you know, three days a week consistently for six weeks, it, it hurts the veins. And then the progression of the treatments and the layering on of what we were doing, subtly, I could feel myself just getting worse and worse and worse to the point where I asked to talk to the doctor and I don't feel like I'm, I'm getting better and um, I feel worse. And, you know, that's when he was explaining like the layers and how the body is an onion and we're slowly peeling back and um, you know, that I just need to just, just stick with it. You've got this Heather, (laughs) just stick with it. So um, yeah, I needed you. I'd say halfway through it, I needed him to boost me up. I needed him to say that, yes, this still is the right course of treatment for, for what we saw going on in my blood and um, that, that I was capable. I, I do think that that battle might've been a little egotistical and not necessarily, you know, cause you're having a lot of physical symptoms. Um, every symptom that I ever had got to its heightened point till one day, it's just gone. Mm. And that's what people sometimes don't understand. It's not that it's this linear healing pattern. 
it is an up and down. Although if you were to really look back on the macroscope, not like the micro of the bad days, it would be a trending upwards, even when it's, you know, going down, it's trending upwards. And what were some of the things beyond, let's say, you know, my father or the medical staff boosting you? Were there other, you know, tips or, or advice you could give people as they start to go into the micro downside? Because that's where a lot of people get stuck on, oh my God, get worse. This isn't working. And you start to go in a negative, vicious disease cycle pattern where you start to talk yourself almost out of it. None of this is working. I'm getting worse. Oh my God, that's a new symptom I never had before. This is why am I spending this money? Oh my, you know, how did you beyond the, you know, reaffirmation of the medical team, what were you doing anything to kind of support yourself to be like, keep going, keep going, you know, be positive, anything? Yeah, I, um, I started studying deeper um, naturopathic treatments, iridology, mm. learning how I could use herbs in my own backyard or my own environment. And I think as I was progressing, when I was ready for information, it was coming to me. And in this age of social media, it seemed like when I opened my YouTube up, there would be this. 432 hertz healing meditation, um, or I would get a quick Joe Dispenza burst of a book. Um, and then my brain was starting to circulate Arizona. You need to go to Sedona, Arizona. And as I was slowly unpeeling my onion and being open to the universe per se, dropping these golden nuggets, I was just running to everything that I could grab knowledge on. I want to say I was reading probably five books at one time, listening to two, three different podcasts. I mean, I dove so deep in it to the point where I needed to stop. Did it become too much? It did. Yeah. I was becoming extremely obsessed about health. Yeah the content of water, uh, air microbials that were breathing in the restaurants, um, the door handles going out in public to the point where I'm working so hard to get my physical terrain so perfect that I don't want it to be altered by the outside world. It was, it was, my husband had to be like, okay, calm down. Yeah. Calm, calm down. You can jump down that rabbit hole really quickly. Right. And I've seen it. I've seen patients, you know, start with a, a little understanding of this and that and come in weeks later with binders full of stuff they found and, you know, showing you one study on the, and everything. And it's it turns into a rapid thing where you're staying up late at night, jumping from one thing to the other. And also imposing yourself on others, right? Yeah, yeah. Being so excited about this newfound knowledge that anyone that I was seeing living altered, I would jump in and it wasn't appropriate. And I, you know, burnt a few bridges. And yeah. that I would say in the long run is yes, I'm blessed with all this knowledge, but I don't need to give it out all at once. Do you feel that was part of like a healing transition as well? Part of the journey is becoming almost a little bit obsessed during it going through that phase of it and then realizing also that, you know, that's not always the best case scenario to be that person. Where I'm standing now, looking back, yes, because I understand that I am a healed healer. 
but I didn't recognize that as I was moving through the motions, right? My vibration was rising as my frequency was changing. As I was healing, I was becoming more grounded and more receptive to the codes that were being presented to me. And I think I just was so excited, like a prism. I just was bursting all of my light out. And um, yeah, I think I needed that moment to be like, okay, hone in and understand. So yes, Heather, now you've understand how to change yourselves. Yes. You've understand now how to speak to your water. Yes. Now you understand how to go outside and take uh, sunlight on the abdomen 15 minutes in the morning to boost your vitamin C. I understand the components of muscles and why we want to eat raw oysters and just, you know, that, that whole concept. Now I need just to focus it in on myself and be a living model of health not burst it out consistently live it right be it not be the ego aspect of it harnessed it completely and that's where my transition changed yes so you're going through that transition are you still going through treatment at this time as you're going through that transition or are you already done with treatment i'm already done because you're you're, uh yeah i'd uh did I want to say uh, 16 months of treatment, which was spread out, spread you across, know, yeah, right. Um, and there was a certain point in time where my treatments were coming to an end, and I was starting to have some anxiety. And I was explaining to Caitlin, and you know, I, I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm. I think I need this IV. I need my blood cleansed every. You know, I don't think I can go without pulsed electromagnetic therapy. (laughs) I need the biocharger. (laughs) Like, you know, your dad came in and was like, listen, Heather, we've given you everything we, we can give you. It's time to fly. And, and how did you take (laughs) that? Because listen, that's a pivotal point too. You were, you were sad. (laughs) I was sad, but I understood. And my brain was clear enough now to understand all those little nuggets that had been dripped in me over the period of those last 16 months. I got what he was saying. I understood it in that moment. Did I need to hear it? Yes, but my soul already knew. It was right. time to fly. It was t- it's time to take the training wheels off. And where are you now feeling like on a scale of zero to a hundred sort of like, how are you feeling? Are you feeling like completely healthy? Are you feeling, ooh, this is still like far from where I want to be? Where were you? Yeah, I'd say I'm obviously we want to always continue and change, right? Um, but I'm 90% healed, I would say, from what I was experiencing. If we're speaking specific to symptoms um, related to Lyme in general, the lasting effect that I have, and this is very unique, and maybe you could give me some insight on this, but my knee swells depending on the moon. Yeah. I'm a female too. So it corresponds with my menstrual cycle. So I'm on a new moon. I'm a, a white cycle. So I find that the knee was my first symptom. So it seems to be my last symptom, but it's um, not as bad as it was. I still can teach and perform and do yoga and walk and do all sorts of things. But if I'm keeping a medical journal, I notice that my symptoms heighten the most around the full moon. 
It's interesting. I listen, I think there's a lot of different theories on after a Lyme patient is healed, quote unquote. That, yeah, my blood is clean. So right. that's what we want to say is my blood is clean. Right. Um, I think but, there's that notion so, of cellular memory, right? The first yeah. symptom, your cells remember. It, it's like, listen, when someone comes out of war, it's not that, hey, everything's good. We're in times of peace. They have a memory of what happened during that war. And many times that holds on and that may manifest itself, even though there is no war going on. It is a PTSD for cells. And that requires time, that requires effort, that requires sometimes even more of a spiritual cleansing, so to say, because it's not physical in a sense. It's it's resulting in that physicality of, oh, I feel my knee again. And maybe it's heightened by different vibrations and everything's on the moon, as we know, incredibly impact our brain in different ways we feel and our emotions. So yeah. that that's a really interesting one, because I don't think there's a patient that I haven't spoken to about Lyme that even years down the line say there's still some memories uh, there that come up and pop up and it's not bad. And I know how to handle that. But I'm also very in tune to that. Yes. I'm so happy you say that because I feel like what I was given at innovative medicine were tools. Yep. That's all they are. And as I progressed through the healing journey, I continued to get tools. On my journey out to Sedona, Arizona, I captured some more tools. And as I've been studying and learning, I just keep putting more and more in my tool belt. So yeah, I completely agree with you. I know how to handle myself now. Um, and it's such a rewarding feeling. And let's talk about those tools because this is post-treatment. And I think this is a critical time for a lot of patients of whether or not you move forward with your healing journey or you slide back because you are set free to fly, so to say. And that means, you know, you're in charge. You're you're you have to keep going. It's not that you just fall back to like, you know, negative behavior and unhealthy ways. What did you do post treatment to continue that journey? I'm so happy that you said it that way, because. It's extremely hard when you step out into the real world because it is not. Unfortunately, America is not set up for a health journey. Referencing again, the area I live in, we are hardy on meat and potatoes. I would have to drive to a major city to get a fresh juice. If I ask for a vegan <laughs> entree people look at me like I'm crazy like but you don't want gravy on that you know so um, I think that's where it first starts is having to gain enough strength and solidify yourself so you don't fall into it so for me it started with making an actual daily regimen you will wake up and you will drink warm water with lemon in it. You will meditate. I literally put it in my calendar. You take your supplements. You will eat this breakfast. You will take your dogs for a walk here. And I had to stay very regiment to it until it became that routine, like we were saying. And then it just became a lifestyle. And as I continued with that routine, my body got more confident with the fact that it was getting what it needed appropriately. And then I was able to have enough energy 
to realize that I didn't want to participate in the structured world anymore. That I did then understand the subtle body link to disease. And I was fooling myself if I thought I could go back to my Monday through Friday, nine to five job and not go back into disease. And also I was vibrating at a completely different level. So I couldn't even concentrate on my actual day job anyway, because I was more fascinated about how I could change my cellular uh, brain with listening to Joe Dispenza meditations. It's really interesting after you heal, what happens? Because again, people have to understand that healing isn't just the physical body. When you truly heal, you heal the emotional side as well as the spiritual side. And what I mean by that in the spiritual side, it's not like religiously you suddenly feel, you know, some connection or go become a certain religion. It's more so that I feel like you you suddenly have a purpose and you understand what that is more. And I think that's what I'm hearing here. And that's where some people have a problem. They go back to the job that is not spiritually fulfilling. Therefore, they're not healed. And so you have to give into that sometimes. And that's incredibly scary because then you're going out of the norm of society. Everyone else, everyone understood when you're sick. Okay, you need time off. Now you're saying I have to, you know, do something completely different than I've been taught that I may went to school and spent a lot of money. That's kind of crazy, you know. But again, that's not crazy if you really take a step back. That is honestly your spirit, you telling yourself, this is what you need to do. This is what makes you happy and healthy. Everyone has that. And what was that for you? Yes. Uh, That calling to go out to Sedona uh, and and the supportive husband uh, going out to Sedona, going on a couple of hikes, taking some vortex, uh, you know, knowledge, uh, understanding frequencies of crystals. And then while I was out there, this word pranayama kept coming up. I never heard it before. I didn't even hear it in your dad's office. I heard chakras. Mm -hmm. Um, Your mom had spoken to me about chakras before, but pranayama, it was almost like in the wind, like when it was blowing through, it was like just in my ear. And I came back, we came back home. And again, that social media, uh, I don't know. (laughs) I popped open my phone and didn't the local yoga studio have their teacher training program. And it was beginning like that weekend. And I called her immediately. And I said, listen, I know I don't know you. I know I have never been to your studio, but I just got back home from Sedona, Arizona. And all I keep hearing is pranayama and your advertisement says pranayama. I'll pay you in full. Can I come Friday? (laughs) And that was it. That was it. I missed the first weekend of training because I was in Sedona. And so I went to this teacher training to learn pranayama for myself. My core or whatever was communicating to me that I needed to breathe and a real breath, not sips of air. And, uh, you know, I went into that yoga teacher training just full on. This is for me. I have no intentions. going to learn as much as I can learn. Come home, get excited, teach my husband box breath, three-part breath, all sorts of stuff. Just so excited. Everything your dad is telling me, every, bells are ringing. It's all clicking. Subtle body, dis-ease, chakras, colors. Oh my gosh, I'm vibrating. I'm flying. This is great. <laughs> Halfway through the program, I realized I have to teach. And you didn't stop there. 
You didn't no. stop with just the, oh. the, the you went on crystals, Reiki, <laughs> oh, no. you, you kept going. Yeah. yeah. Um, each level of knowledge that I obtained, once it became a tool in my toolbox, I would then come back into myself, whether I would go outside barefoot with my feet in the grass or meditate and ask for the next, what's next. And each time I was given, it, it just, it was given to me. It's, I don't want to say that I had a clear path and it wasn't like I, I heard a voice. It just was a knowing, a core knowing. Now tell me about how you got into then further on basically energy medicine, I'd call it with crystal work, with Reiki. Was that somewhat brought upon because of your experience, because our approach does bring up the energetic side so much and you experienced that, that you wanted to continue down that road? I think it's really neat uh, the way bioresonance can show the uh, subtle aspects of the body. And when I was given an image of what my aura or personal bubble, whatever you'd want to call it, when I was given that image that day in New York City, and I saw how serrated my edges were, I think that image stuck with me to the point that I knew I was going to solidify my aura so much that I would never go back there. So I think at the end of the day, it was always and has been about encapsulating my own health and wellness. And yes, it has led to all of these other levels that have now given me so many opportunities. But at the end of the day, I stayed committed to my transformation. And by staying committed to my transformation, I followed the lead on what my soul was telling me to do. And now you're a healed healer, he said. Tell us about your work with others now as you continue to pay it forward, not even through your own healing now, but helping others now on the journey themselves. So when we understand that we're electromagnetic human beings and that we have a frequency of vibration, oftentimes in trauma, you will magnetize or draw in like individuals. And in the beginning of teaching and moving through my modalities, I kept having this feeling of this individual person, she, they have Lyme. It felt like every patient that I was coming across, every student, every opportunity had a link to something that was inside of me. And I had already had a tool to be able to regurgitate then back to them. Was I truly doing healing? I don't think so. What I think I was doing was connecting to the vibrational frequencies and understanding that there was another electromagnetic soul being in front of me and that I was on just a little bit of a higher level that I could see through their auric pattern and knew what tools I had and my heart was radiating so much that I was able to open my throat and give them the guidance because that's what a healer does. Do you feel like your journey is what, what led you to hear meaning? 
do you feel it all has purpose now? A lot of people that when you speak to them, you know, disease is a terrible thing. There's no other way around it. When you're in it, it's a terrible thing. When you're on the other side and you're now evolved, let's say, you have changed because of it and and actually grown and found something new due to that disease, you look at it a little bit different. You look at it that had its purpose. Do you feel that way? I do. And that came about by one of the books that I was reading, uh, the author's Dan Milliman, The Life You Were Born to Live. There was a time, I said before, when my brain couldn't comprehend calculations. And it's now in this soul path journey that I'm at and vibrationally numerology is speaking to me. So much to the point where I'm diving into it extremely deep to understand why am I seeing 1111? What is this consistency of 444? why is the number seven so meaningful to me? And so I think at that point in time, when I understood that I am a life path seven and was able to then recognize and understand soul contracts, right? Because I don't think that the Heather I was previous to my healing, the disease, the vibration that I was on previous to 2016 or or whatever, per se, let's say that, I wasn't capable of understanding that. When you clean up your terrain, when you clean up your home, you make it sacred. When you clean up your body, you make it sacred. When you choose a job that provides you with the sustainability and you make it sacred, everything falls into place. And that's when I realized this path has led me. This journey has all been worth it. And I would never want to take back. I don't wish it upon anyone else. Oh, no. But I, my soul, needed that in order to transform or what we would call alchemy. Yeah. I mean, alchemy is is an amazing thing of that transmutation of something into something else, right? And and it's something I think people, again, could jump into the rabbit hole and learn a lot about. Steiner's work, anthroposophy, you know, all of that. Yes. Uh, but it, it relates so much to life and it relates to anyone that's suffering with disease. Now, you know, knowing what you know now, going through what you experienced, going through the healing journey, what message would you bestow upon someone that's suffering right now? Someone that was, you know, like you in the 2016 era, that's just seeking, you know, some kind of hope, some kind of inspiration. What message would you have for them? Take a deep breath. Mm. The minute that you take a deep breath, and I mean fully inhale through the nose, lift up and pull back on that perineum, hover slightly and take a full exhale out, your body will communicate to you. Your soul will vibrate and let you know on that level what your worth is. And there is nothing in any dimension, in any world, ever worth extinguishing your light and the radiance inside of you through this journey will provide an overwhelming amount of gratitude in the end and it will be worth it it's a wonderful message heather where can we learn more about you and your work so i have a website um As I moved through my journey, I felt like I was slowly becoming more aligned with my journey. 
And um, when you start teaching yoga, unfortunately, you have some liability issues and things like that. So I had to become incorporated and I kept thinking mindfully aligned, right? I feel like I'm, I'm mindfully aligning in the journey of yoga and Reiki and crystal and Ayurveda. And so, yeah, so you can find me at www.mindfullyaligned.org. Um, my healing journey is on my Instagram page, which is aligned Heather. And I also have my business page on Facebook, which is also mindfully aligned as well. Amazing. Heather, thank you so much for sharing this story. I know it's not always easy, but please do know it's incredibly impactful to so many others to hear that, get that hope. So I'm sure they're thanking you as well. And you know, keep doing the amazing work you're doing and continue to heal, not just yourself, but, but others. I think it's so important. Thank you. I'm very honored. Thank you. Heather's story should serve as a beacon of hope for so many others that are suffering with chronic illness. You can transform, you can restore your well-being, and you can obtain peace and balance. Check out more of Heather and her work with Mindfully Aligned at www.mindfullyaligned.org or on our Instagram page at Aligned Heather or also Facebook at Mindfully Aligned. Until next time, keep writing your own healing story.